Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. For tuning in to the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Grant Hosinski. I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel, Philly Fanatics, how teams cultivate and grow passionate fan bases. Our panelists today are Dave Bird, also known as Lil Dicky, rapper, comedian, actor, and Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers. Our panel will be moderated by Kevin Nagandi, studio anchor at ESPN and Philadelphia native. The panel will run for about 35 minutes. We'll leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please tweet at us using the hashtag PhillyFanatics for discussion and questions. And with that, Kevin, I will turn it over to you. Grant, thank you so much. Appreciate the introduction. Great to see uh, Dave and Daryl here. Daryl needs no introduction, of course, uh, considering what he does and, uh, and, of course, why we're all here. And, and it's great to have Dave here and his perspective because, you know, Dave comes from outside the box. And, and I normally would wear a, a blazer here in, in any type of panel situation, but this outside-the-box panel, I think, is appropriate that he's tied to Philly I'm, of course, wearing something tied to Veterans Stadium and the Sixers because, obviously, we do what we do because we're passionate about it, but that passion carries over into uh, what we love the most, and that is Philadelphia sports. And, and Dave, let's start a, a little bit about your journey because as, as a kid, you know, you started something with these big dreams of getting into comedy, and, and, and you go through a kickstart, and, and I love how you've drawn the, the conclusion of where you went to become a comedian, you fell into rapping the same way Joel Embiid fell into this concept of playing basketball and, and to tie in your passion for basketball and the city of Philadelphia. Can you explain your journey here to where you are right now as you have your own show on FXX? Sure, yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're a boy, you have dreams. And for me, my dream was to be like a comedian. I, I loved uh, Adam Sandler and Larry David and you know, I guess as I grew up, Seth Rogen, and uh, I just saw these guys, and I was like, I want to be that, and uh, so, and really, and that was based off of nothing beyond being, like, the guy that made my friends laugh, like, I did nothing talent-based at all, but truly, in my heart, I, I felt destined to be, like, great, and uh, when I graduated college, I thought, well, how can I get this thing off the ground, because I really don't know anybody or uh, have anybody to like hand a script to like, and I also didn't even write a script. So I was just thinking about uh, ways I could be noticed for being funny that I could actually achieve on my own, like in my apartment with the technology that I had at hand. And I've always, for whatever reason, been like a reasonably good rapper. Like it was like, but you know, not something I took very seriously, uh, but just like a good party trick, so to speak. And uh, I just looked at the, marketplace of a uh, comedic rap and it felt like you know there's that group lonely island with andy sandberg and it felt like they had a total monopoly of the entire like there was no competitor there's nobody you know competing with them and there's no one doing it so i just thought you know i've got garage band just built into my laptop just when you buy it and you know you spend 300 dollars and you get a nice microphone and like thank god that when i was at the age of like 24 the technology was such that i could record high quality rapping like in my room like it would not have been possible 10 years prior and 
So I just started rapping with, the, with just pretty, pretty honestly with the intention of being noticed for being funny. Like I was not thinking like, man, you're going to be a touring artist. And uh, fortunately uh, it, it worked like the, a sport. Like the more I did it, the better I got at it to the point where I now feel like I'm one of the best rappers alive. That's how I feel. And, uh, and it was like, I kind of stumbled into it and yeah, like, it's like, you know, and Joel Embiid, I know he didn't start playing basketball till he was like, what, like 19 years old. And Matt, it's just a, it's, you know, it's a, it was a very interesting discovery. So um, I just, the comedy dream of like having my own TV show actually took a back seat because I was like, and, I, and I've always loved rap. Don't get me wrong. It's just like my dreams growing up as a kid was comedian, rapper, NBA player. And only one of those felt really attainable. So, um, but I, and so now I'm, you know, I'm not giving up on the NBA either. Just so you know, we have some uh, we have some trials for the blue coats maybe Dave. You, you, <laughs> hey, do you have, have an outside jumper? Because it's honestly, a... if that helps with the spacing, I'm sure Daryl will be open <laughs> to the idea because we, we need some depth there later in the bench, right? I'm a great shooter and I and I carry myself very well on the court. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you'd be a good locker room guy too. Probably. Great clubhouse guy. <laughs> That's key in the NBA these days too, making sure we're keeping the clubhouse, uh, of course, loose and relaxed here. And, and Daryl, you come from, you know, obviously the outside. You're not a you're not the standard GM. I, I think you set the standard for a certain level of people that look at uh, sports differently here. But you're also coming in from from Houston in an outside environment, and. When you look at and Boston, the enemy and, and, and oh, the enemy, absolutely <laughs> still the enemy, regardless of how bad they are right now, which we're all fighting. Well, how do we do against them this year? Oh, yeah. Three and oh, we like the struggles. Yeah. Uh, what's it like for you understanding the outside Philadelphia fan now being immersed in it right now? Because you came out at a time, too, where Philadelphia was kind of teetering on where this team was outside the uh, disappointment of the bubble. And then you and Doc come in and then you don't have fans. And now you're starting to see a little bit of that with the fans coming to, to these games. What's that experience like for you perspective wise from the outside and now in the inside of our bubble? Well, first I want to dispel the rumor of this panel that I just did it to, uh, to find out what my future is going to be right. Like with the passionate Philly fans, because uh, I'm in the honeymoon phase right now. They're, they're pretty happy, like you said, with Doc and myself. It just feels like there's this tension that could flip at any moment where I'm just, I'm just being tarred and feathered at any moment. I'm quite, quite concerned by this. And uh, I, I, may need, I may need your warnings on how to navigate that. But, uh, well, enjoy it right now, because honestly, <laughs> this is maybe the peak. So enjoy it as much as you what, can. What, what kind of treatment am I going to get? in uh on sports center if, if philly goes bad is it is it just are you gonna just crush us basically i'm as real as possible daryl well the one thing that that's actually very enjoyable it's very cathartic for me when i see something i don't like and people are like oh you're a homer i'm like no i'm gonna call it like it is if i see that the team's not playing to its potential i'll call it out but at the same time uh i'll give you the benefit of the doubt because i think you deserve that especially right now i think I think Philly fans will come with that attitude that you deserve with your track record. You deserve the benefit of the doubt, especially the moves leading into this um, and where this team is now. Now, I think also it's really your judge in the off season. And the one thing Daryl you have, and, and Dave could jump in on this is you're real. And 
even if you fail, I think Philly fans come down to, are you going to be real with us? Because they would rather have somebody real with us and be, you know, okay than somebody who's successful and is fake about it the entire time because they can smell somebody who's not authentic. One thing I was excited about coming to Philly to answer your first question is, uh, you know, I was in Boston for many years. I grew up in Ohio where really the football fans were like the closest thing to like a passionate fan base. You know, people go in and out of the Cavs and Indians, but the football fans. And so I sort of grew up being one of those fans, like, like Dave was, like you were, who was just living and dying and, you know, throwing batteries from the end zone and all this kind of crazy stuff that actually Europe is even crazier, you could argue. Um, and we have in our audience, uh, just for, I think you and, uh, and Dave know, uh, there's a lot of people who want to get into sports. That's a big part of the audience uh, of the conference. And I think, you know, one thing that, that helps and I've done intentionally, and I think Dave, you can jump in. I don't want to speak for you, but I think Dave has done intentionally is to just, just be yourself. Uh, when you, when you F up, say you F up, when you, when you when you're just trying something, you say you're just trying something, and uh, just just try and be, uh, you know, doing. And you're, I think, if people sense you're trying to do your best, and obviously you have to have a lot of competence. Like Dave just talked about being one of the best rappers in the world. I I feel like I'm one of the best decision makers when it comes to sports in the world, and a lot of it's because of many many years of hard work. So you can't just walk into it, but coming from a different uh, perspective. I came from a data perspective that wasn't uh, heavily used in, in the industry that gave me an edge. Um, and I'll let Dave speak to like, he came at his industry from a different perspective because he came to it later as well and what his key edge was. Um, and I think that that allows you to be more authentic because you're not, uh, you're like, if it all comes tumbling down I can go back to being a big sports fan and do something else, right? Whereas I think other people in my position, uh, they, they're worried, right? They're, they, they, they're worried that their next job uh, is not one that would they'd be very interested in. Like I, I, have, I have lots of places I could go. That's why I love working with Elton Brand. Elton Brand was a superstar player, has nothing to prove to anybody. I love working with him because he's a risk taker too. And, Together, along with Doc, we've been able to do something special so far this year, uh, but all from extremely different backgrounds, but with a common goal uh, of, of winning. One last thing, this back to Dave, because it made me think of it. Dave, do you know who Bill James is? Like if I say who that is? No, no. So have you seen the movie Moneyball? Yes. Okay, so the movie Moneyball Obviously, there's the Billy Bean character by Brad Pitt, but they talk about Billy Bean using these ideas from a guy in a, in a can like a, a a bean factory in Kansas. That's this guy Bill James, who's sort of my hero, and he said something I thought was pretty cool that resonated when you were talking, Dave. And that's everything Bill did terrible in school, and he became Bill became the number one godfather of analytics. Uh, he's sort of the uh, uh, I don't know doc. Dr. Dre of, of analytics or something. So, so Bill, they, Bill James said everything he did in school that got him in trouble was writing and telling jokes. And then, and, and that became his, that became his uh, future career.
career basically. So, um, so anyway, that, that, that was just something that always resonated with me. Like for those who are tuned in, uh, if you're doing what you love, people will recognize it. People will see you as authentic and also will take you places. I feel like the, the, the guys that got in the most trouble with Philadelphia are like people that like that carry themselves with a little bit more of like an elitist, like Chip Kelly, like just felt like you couldn't even ask, like get to the root of what's actually happening. You know, it just felt like he like kind of kept everyone at bay where it's like Errol's the kind of guy you could tweet at and get a response. So it's mm -hmm. like, I feel like you're on this one end of the spectrum that Philadelphia will, will naturally embrace. That being said, you certainly inherited a team at a crossroads of their, uh, their, their franchise, I think right now. But I, I love how you're handling it. Say, enjoy the honeymoon, Daryl. Honestly, <laughs> enjoy all of this because I, it comes from a good place because I think, I think Philadelphia fans get you know, misconstrued on, on where we are with our passion. I, I have always said uh, we boo because we care. And, and the one thing, Daryl, I will always tell you, uh, any advice for any outsiders, do not bring up Santa Claus because Santa Claus deserved it. And if you have the backstory and understanding what exactly happened that day, it, it, it strikes a nerve because, you know, Philadelphia You can YouTube it, just YouTube Santa Claus Philly and you'll get it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there, there's, there's a backstory to it and understanding the psychosis of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia always will have a chip on its shoulder regardless. We're, we're locked into New York and, and D.C. and and we think that we are toe to toe with everybody. And that never, that, that really never changes the attitude that we have. And you talked about being fearless. Dave, when you approach things, how do you approach it? Because I love the comment that you feel like you're one of the best rappers in the world. Does fear, is fear a part of it? Is fear a motivation? Do you even have that into your mind? How do you approach that word? For me, I'm like, uh, I say, I'm not, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of what ifs. Mm. So for me, like I, like I'm totally accepting of a of failing. If I, if I truly know that I gave it my all, what I wouldn't be, it would haunt me is, you know, not giving it a hundred percent and feeling like, man, that outcome could have been different had I acted differently. So as long as I feel content with my energy level and my effort, I don't, I feel pretty at peace and satisfied with the result because some things just aren't going to, you know, you can't have everything in life. Uh, but I, it's a phrase I say constantly is like, I can live with failure. I can't live with what ifs. I, I feel that. the same because online, you know, and I think uh, Dave probably deals with too, like people are both friendly online, especially Twitter, but also can be pretty pointed and aggressive and negative. And like, I get a lot of negative uh, and people are like, well, how do you deal with that? I was like, well, the negative that is just like, rah, I'm mad. I can ignore that easily. It's actually when some people tweet and I learn things and they're like, hey, why didn't you think of this? Which has happened actually quite a few times. And I go like, you know what, damn it. <laughs> I should have thought of that. Like I'm mad at myself. And so those are the feedback that I actually take to heart. And, you know, as you know, I actually like to engage with the fans because look, I can tell you as a guarantee, passionate fans of a team know more about the players on that team than a, than a GM on another team because the GMs on the other teams don't watch those players every single moment. They'll, they'll watch a game. They'll watch highlights of their pick and roll. But one thing we had cultivated in Houston that we're bringing to Philly is we would always get local 
passionate fans. Often they'd be like high school coaches too. So they'd have a little bit of a base of knowledge who would give us their takes uh, on the, on the college team that's nearby. And those, that type of feedback actually turned out to be really helpful because they're watching every second uh, of those players versus our scouts who might see two or three games uh, live and maybe a few on video. David, uh, by the way, I love your background. Uh, the detail there. Uh, what do we got? Are those flowers back there behind yep. you on the wall? Thank you for pointing that out. It's a, it's a wallpaper that I did select. So I have really good taste. Nice. And I've kind of created a good symmetrical uh, thing with my neck and my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's well done by you. See, Thank fully you. aware of my art director. My frame. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got the eye of a director, which I love. Um, now, when you're in LA, how do you how do you stay in touch? Uh, and, and this is, I think, for a question that for our audience, because they're trying to get into the sports uh, world. They're passionate about there's a reason why they got into this, because they're passionate about certain teams that they're with. But they're going to be traveling everywhere. How do you stay in touch with your passion and the fan base 3000 miles away? Well, sometimes the time difference helps. Sometimes it hurts. Like I love starting a 10 a.m. football game. You know what I mean? Like that's like nice to just wake up and get the ball rolling as far as the Eagles. But it's kind of difficult uh, to watch the Sixers at four, you know, depending on what I'm doing. But the technology, like even the last five years, just radically, like I could, I, the, I can get the HSD stream on my phone for like a hundred bucks a season. You know what I mean? With NBA TV or whatever, the NBA app, whatever it is. So. You know, I'll be editing and, I'll have, you know, right in front of me, there's like a TV that has like the edit for my season two of my show. And then I'll have my laptop will just have the Sixers on and, and I'll just like glance over and, you know, I do things like I, I listen to 610 WIP like religiously, oh. you know, like, and uh, I, I, when I'm, I went to San Francisco out of college and I got a job at an ad agency when I sat at my cube and I was working on, you know, ad agency shit. I wasn't listening to music. I was listening to 610 remotely. Like, and I was just, and it, all these things are at a place technology. So that's the one I should listen to. Is that the one everyone's tuned into? But now it's now 97.5. Like it's, it's 97.5. Yeah. 97.5 has the ESPN and, and they've got some guys that used to be at WIP. I say it because I used to work at WIP uh, as a producer, as a 21 year old, I feel at all those calls. And, yeah. and, and, and let me tell you, some of the people are still there and, and, and that's actually a great transition because, Dave, that, that shows me you're hardcore, and I appreciate that. Daryl, do you – in the building, how do you guys, as, as, as a company, handle the, you know, the talk radio and handle, you know, the stuff that you see from bloggers? What, what do you guys – what's your perspective on stuff like that? Well, tw I keep up on Twitter. I, do, I, I keep up on the message. I do this in every town I've been in. I like to find the, the most passionate core fans because – they're like the thought leaders. Like if you, I'm not a marketing expert. Sounds like Dave might be worked at an ad agency, but you know, they talk about the, the core fans being the ones who emanate out to, to the rest. That's not always true. And so I like to stay really in touch with them both for ideas, but also, you know, we're an entertainment product. So uh, catering to these core fans is, is an important part of, of what we do basically. And so I haven't found it. That's why I asked about it. I haven't found the radio station. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find the one I need to go on to listen to to get whoever's the leading voice uh, for the fans. I like. I like to get a sense of where 
of where they're at. Uh, I, I consider it part of my job. I'm actually curious if Dave, for your art, is our, are there like those passionate fan bases that you, you get ideas from, or do you just sort of lead the market and sort of, you know, your ideas are maybe almost ahead of where anyone could anticipate you might go. Um, well, as far as like fans, like, uh, there are, I remember when I first started out and like first put my first content on, there were like, you know, a handful of like diehards from like the first like three weeks. And like, I just, I remember how much I, uh, like they made me happy and I've maintained like, I'll pay attention when they tweet at me. And like, when I do a show in their town, I'll let them come backstage and I, I reward those. Uh, and, and I feel like for me, I, you know, my fan base is a little bit tortured in the sense that I haven't put an album out since 2015. That was the last time. So it's been like, every time I post anything, even about the show, they're like, great, where's your next album? And, oh. and I don't blame them because it's kind of crazy to go six years in between albums. I understand that. But uh, I have trouble like uh, multitasking. Like when I'm in the TV show, I can't like just like come home at 11 p.m. and like get in the studio and like rap, you know, and then like wake up at 4 a.m. to go shoot. It's, so it's for me, I'm just like spread a little thin and that's what, what's causing it. But I do listen and I pay attention to like these a few uh, early fans because I think they understand me and what's happening more. So I, I, if they're okay, I'm okay. And as far as like, you know, yeah, I'm very like, I watch, especially in music, I watch how things like operate in terms of, for example, I, when I started out, I, there was like, uh, I, I, all I could do was like make my own music and like post it on YouTube. And rather than just like doing it willy nilly, I saw this other group that was like in college, they would, every Wednesday they would put out something or every Tuesday they would put out something new every Tuesday. And like, if you were a fan of them, you knew Tuesday at 7 p.m. there are new things coming out. And it's like, there's so much more organized than simply putting stuff online. So what I did was I looked at what they did and rather than just like making music and putting out songs when they were done, I built an archive of like five months worth of weekly content. And once a week for five months straight to start my career, I put something new out every single Wednesday and fans always, it was like a TV show. You just knew you tune in and get new little Dicky on this day. And luckily the first day I did it, my first video got a million views on like literally day one, which was shocking. Um, it was the best day of my life always will be unless a marriage and a kid is, you know, I don't know. But when that happened, I was like, Oh my God. And then I was like, thank God I can ride this momentum because next week I have another video to put out. And I did that for five months straight. And then at the end of that, I was out of content, but, I had like a 45,000 person fan base that I was able to be like, I'm out of content. I'm actually out of money. So if all of you could help me with a Kickstarter, we can really get this thing going for real. And then I raised like $113,000 as a result. Wow. So it sounds like, can I ask, uh, I asked most NBA players this question, when they felt like they knew they were going to make it as an NBA player, was, was that first million hit release on yeah. YouTube when you felt like that? Totally. Like, you know, you got to understand everybody thought I was delusional because I, I invested so much time into working on the music for two years. And like my parents were like literally held an intervention with my girlfriend at the time. And when we went, we went on a vacation in Hawaii and they like went around the table one by one saying like, here's why you shouldn't post anything online. And <laughs> much told me not to do it. So, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, but I'm Kanye. You know, so it's like, but I, I understand why it's a crazy thing to feel. 
But Kanye also felt like he was Kanye before he was Kanye and everyone told him he was crazy. You know what I mean? So for it to be proven on that first day, I remember thinking like, you know, I'm going to go a whole year putting stuff out. And if I get one of these things to get like a hundred thousand views over the course of a year, that'll give me enough hope to, you know, keep going. And I didn't even, as I was making the stuff leading up to it, I didn't even show any friends because I didn't all, my hope was so high that all showing people could do would be like knowing the hope a little bit. So I just, kept hope alive, put the thing on out. And, and then that first day I was like, oh, I am who I thought I was. And that's always, so like that day I was just like, totally like no doubt about it every step of the way. Well, You're telling important... a story though of, of dreamers. Go so ahead, you, you've got to be a little crazy, right? You've got to think outside the box because uh, obviously it's not something I think people were surrounded by. We're on a daily basis, understand that it's a nine to five and that's what they know and understand. And you've got to dream outside the box. And Daryl, I want to switch this to you because you asked Dave that question, you asked the athlete, when did you feel like you made it as a GM? Was there was there a moment, uh, a, a season, a title, or a trade? When did you feel like that? Uh, for me, it was uh, after my first draft. So the very first draft uh, that that uh, I was involved in was uh, we we got uh, Aaron Brooks, uh, Carl Landry, who became a little bit of a cult here in Philly later, uh, and then we also signed uh, Luis Scola. Uh, as a trade with the Spurs and it was like a week into the season and all three of these guys are playing amazing I'm like first off I knew the data I knew that was like really lucky like just obviously there's some good work that went into each of those choices but to have all three of them hit in a big way was pretty unlikely almost you know almost like anyone putting out their first YouTube gets a million views that's that's not the experience I would bet of most creators um and so I was just like, you know what I might make? Cause I knew, I knew about the world enough, even at that age that I knew the early victories or failures can really unfortunately define you. Uh, like an early failure puts you on sort of potentially a negative feedback loop of like, okay, I'm not gonna pay as much attention to the next thing they do. Like, and then now they're not winning. And then that it, it, it erodes trust. And if you don't have trust of management and the fans, it cycles up or down. Hopefully it'll cycle up in, in Philadelphia. Uh, so that was, that was probably my key, key, uh, yeah, the key moment when I felt like, you know, I might make it past two years. Cause uh, I was like, if you, if you go back and read in Houston, when I was hired, all the local, all the local radio were making fun of the owner for how stupid he was for hiring me. Basically they called me like deep blue, which was like the computer that, that uh, beat Kasparov and they would like had had like they even made up like a little song and jingle to make fun of me when I was in the, when I was first in the job and uh, and so yeah I mean it's 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 for those out there I know in the audience a lot of people want to want to make it in the industry I'm sure Dave gets asked all the time like they want to like follow in the footsteps of stuff that that I've done or he's done you have to think differently like it you're not gonna be able to follow any formula you have to have something unique you're bringing to the table that you believe in and probably no one else will and then and then get through all the people telling you what a what a terrible terrible f f an idea it is at the beginning well said there that's that's really well said especially you're going to be tested and tried throughout um, how about you kevin yeah when i felt like i made it yeah wow uh uh, probably uh, the first night I did Sports Center, 
and, and I, I was I was 18 months into my job at ESPN. I was doing ESPN News, Outside the Lines, Baseball Tonight, a lot of other shows. But then I got a call on a sick call, and they're like, "Can you come in to do uh, Sports Center?" And I remember uh, hopping on the set and just said, you know, being the first Indian American in this position, I was like, don't F it up. Good Lord, don't F it up. Because who knows behind who's behind me who, who may not get a chance. So I carried on a little weight. And then um, I did the show with Robert Flores, who's a Houston guy, phenomenal uh, uh, colleague who's now at the MLB Network. And he looked at me right before we did the show. And he's like, hey, man, like we always do a show. And I was like, that's all I need to know. And uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, there were a couple shows where I, there was a few uh, moments where it was like, holy shit, kind of like, I did a show with Steve Levy, who's a good friend now, but like, I was really early in my career. We're like 30 seconds before we're on the air. They're rolling in the music, the Sports Center theme. We're doing the 11 o'clock show, which was a big show at the time. And he, t he tells me he was on, uh, you know, Miami radio earlier in the day. And I was like, okay. And I was like, why is he telling me this story right before we're going on the air? And he's like, yeah, they told, they asked me, you know, who's the next big anchor? Cause I've had the chance to work with Berman and, and Patrick. And I've seen guys through the years. And, and now the, the floor director's like 10, nine. And he goes, he looked at me, he goes, I said, you, I said, Nagandi. So don't fuck it up. <laughs> and then boom, <laughs> we're on camera. And, uh, you know, you're in commercial break after that A block and you're like, what the hell just happened? And uh, so those are the those are the things that 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 hit you. And you're when you're coming. I have a dumb question before you get that moment. Are you like like I need my cool on the other side of the pillow call? I need like are you like coming up with like shit you're going to say on the first one? Like, is yeah, that you know, you honestly, uh, there, there were some things that I had tried out, but then I, I always come back to one thing that I think is the theme here is just stay authentic. I, I'm not, you know, I worked with Stuart Scott through the years and I was not Stuart. If I tried to be Stuart, the audience would sniff me out, right? The one thing I can always relate to, I think, with the audience is I will always be a fan. I'll be the fan that has the knowledge. And then when I see a highlight, I want to have the same reaction you would. I don't want to be too cool for the highlight. Because if I'm too cool, you're not connecting with the audience. Because if, if you see a phenomenal play or a dumb blooper, I want to react the same way I would at home. So you're letting the fan in with you, right? So I've always said stay authentic to that no matter what. And that's why, uh, you know, when I'm on the air and I talk about the Eagles or the Sixers or the Phillies or the Flyers, I, I'm always going to be myself because I think the fan relates to that and says, he's one of us. He understands what we're going through. Um, I don't want to separate that, that, that relationship. So uh, I made sure I didn't have like these, these scripted calls, but sometimes you, you have a couple calls in your head that you like and you go to naturally now that you don't think twice. Cause it's it just, it feels good. And I love saying it, uh, for me, sometimes it's always a Seinfeld reference. I'll slip a Seinfeld reference, you know, anytime I can because I'm passionate about that. And I, and you make a connection with the audience. And um, I actually love doing that. Now, tonight, I may make a couple of DMX references. Rest in peace. You know, like, you know, we do that. We like to do that every now and then where we, we're letting the audience know you're in on the joke with us. You're in on the conversations with us. Uh, you're in on on everything you know that's happening current event wise. I'm going to make sure it's relevant now on this broadcast. So uh, we try to do all of that. Uh, you know, they brought up one thing about social media and hearing the noise. Dara, I actually want to ask you a specific question here, also for our audience to listen in. How do you guys handle specifically like 
you know, social media buzz on, you know, during uh, the week of the trade deadline and, and names are being taught. How do you handle that internally, uh, personally? Because that, that's such a, uh, a slippery slope where you don't want to say anything. There's an elephant in the room. How do you handle those type of conversations internally? Because I've always been curious about that, that, that dynamic. Me or Dave first? Daryl, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Dave. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's actually part of my job to manage that. So um, what I'm trying to do, and, and there's a lot of good groundbreaking work in economics on this, but it's also just human nature. I'm mostly trying to uh, handle the, the expectations of fans. So when someone's out there writing, like they're going to get superstar X or Y or Z, if I know the odds of that are very low, I'm trying to make sure that either directly or indirectly behind the scenes, I'm trying to help them understand like the, the, the low odds of this such that, you know, look, we have an amazing team with three amazing superstar players. And I think a very good uh, complimentary core of players and a great coach and a great coaching staff. I want to keep the fans focused on that and not like, the what could be because I think that's a natural fan thing if I know that it's very likely that's about to happen I'm fine with all the speculation but in this I I sort of knew at this trade deadline everyone was anticipating something big so I was trying to keep those expectations low so I'll interact directly with the people behind the scenes whether it be the Woj's at ESPN uh, or the local writers and be like hey look we're obviously going to upgrade the team if we can but the reality is I, I know the market already because we have conversations for weeks and I don't see it coming and I see more of a solid addition coming. And I feel like that's what we did with George Hill. So that's, that's what I'm doing is managing expectations. Really. What about, what about the players on the team that are like the named and like guys like Ben Simmons, like, do you have to like talk to them or you just like not even say anything? Well, it's a choice. That's a gr really good question. And it's contextual and depends on the player. So like, a guy like Shane Battier or Lou Scola, who were like many, many year vets by the time the, I was with them, I would just be very open and be like, look, I can't give you a guarantee. My job is to do this, whatever. But that could really mess with the heads of some players. Uh, so for some players, you don't address it and it's often better. The one thing I know with NBA players and why, you know, I've had a good experience with recruiting players and so has Doc. I never, ever lie to them. Like I always give it straight. And sometimes that can create short-term problems where if they come and talk to me and ask a direct questions, I'll give them the real answer, which is like, okay, very unlikely, but I can't say no, no. Or look, here's what I'm trying to do with the team. And, you know, it's almost like, it's not me. It's not you. It's me. Like we, we need this. And I have to look for that. And that's part of my, you have your job, which is to go win games. You've done it great. I have my job and we all have our jobs. So, but it, you're right that a lot of our young players aren't super mature about it. It's a really tough conversation sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I think long-term though, they'll appreciate it and look back that you were being transparent with them when, you know, the, the maturity level hits them right later on being around the league as a veteran. But it's a real awkward situation. I'm glad Dave asked it because in no other industry, can you just like wake up and like, now you're in Boise, you know, it's like, Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You know, you're, you're, you no longer be, get to be in Philly. You have to be in this place five hours flight away. Like it's, it's a really odd. Now they're very well compensated. No one should feel bad for any of us on this 
zoom or the players, but, but it is like a really weird situation that they've, they've accepted this notion that at any moment they can be on a different team. Well said there. Well said. I think we're going to open up the questions in, in, in a moment here, Dave, I actually want to get your thoughts on as being a, a super fan. How do you handle it? Do you, do you text with your buddies while you're watching the game? Or do you text like trade scenarios during the week? Like uh, how do you handle it with, with your core friends that you grew up with following uh, Philadelphia sports? Yeah. So, you know, I have a thread that's like titled Sixers and really that thread exists throughout the whole day, even into, it's just like my 10, like best, like childhood friends who like are still my best friends. And I was so lucky to grow up with like a group of 10, like guys that like, were just so on the same page about life. And we, you know, throughout the game, it's nonstop texting, but then even like after the game, it's like, Oh, Hey, I just had a baby. And like, I'll set, you know what I mean? So it's like this, this, this thread is called Sixers. Uh, like the title of everything I got a text, it says Sixers. And then, but like, it's really like the thread that we keep up with our lives with as well. But, uh, you know, we, yeah, a couple of my friends, like, you know, fancy themselves as like uh, Woj's of our friend group. You know what I mean? Like there are a few guys that like, you know, throw actual like data and, but they do really know what they're talking about. Um, but for me handling the trade deadline, it's like my, I'm thinking like, how do I not bother Daryl Morey when I know I have a number? <laughs> Uh, so it's like a constant and like my friends know that I know Daryl and they're like, well, you know, you could probably ask him. Right. And I'm just like, nope, not going to do it, even though I want to just know what he's thinking. But I can't do it because I know that everyone else is probably abusing that privilege and I refuse to abuse it. Yeah, that, that's an awkward scenario, right? Especially you can ask you me whatever you want. It just, it just can't always answer sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Grant, do we want to open this now to questions? It feels like we're approaching that time and I, I think we've got some really good questions. All right, uh, should I uh, should I pose these questions that we're getting here, Grant? You tell me. Yeah, you you pick them, Kevin. Okay, so here we go. For Daryl, uh, this is a good one. Have you talked with Sam Hinkie since taking the job in Philly? Many times. He's just like a lifelong friend because I mean, he and I worked together for like seven years before he came to to Philadelphia, and uh, you know, he he and I had always talked about that what he did would be the right way to handle certain teams at certain moments. And I was really happy he did it. I think, you know, I was disappointed that he's not still in the league, but he's off doing amazing things in venture capital. And, you know, I think as they say, he died for our sins. He died for, died for my, <laughs> died for all of our sins. So Is Joel likes to bring that up often. <laughs> Does he actively root for the Sixers? Act very actively. He still stays in touch with many people in, at the Sixers organization, and um, you know he he's well well liked in general. Is my sense. I mean, maybe people will probably lie to me though, so I don't know for sure. But yeah, but uh, they know we're friends. So. That's no. good to hear, though. Uh, Dave, this is an interesting question from a, a fan. Do you use analytics or any fan metrics when when it comes to creating content, when it comes to music, or what you're doing for the TV show? Uh, like barely but some, like you know like i remember for example when i posted that first youtube video that first day that got a million views i didn't just i, I like looked up what what day of the week and what time of the week is like a video more likely to go viral than not and yeah that time actually began that's so every time on the same one wednesday i put it out and i just tried to really like i did you know not the most research but i like looked into that type of thing and 
it worked. So, um, and you know, I, I can see like where I have the most fans. Um, I don't do this, but I'm sure like the people that book my shows know that I can sell more tickets in Boston than I can in uh, Boise. So they probably go to a higher seat venue in Boston as a result. So I'm sure there's a bunch of analytics that go into my career that happen from other people doing it. They were have you, seen, have you seen the AI G3, which is like this open-ended AI, which you can feed it anything like a bunch of pictures and it'll generate it. Like if you put it, gave it a bunch of modern art, it'll generate a very credible piece of modern art that even modern art aficionados couldn't tell the difference. Hmm. I would think like the beats in rap, like you could feed it all your favorite beats and it would auto-generate beat ideas. You don't have to use them. But these are the kinds of things I think people may be doing already or try, for example. I haven't, the only AI I know is Iverson. So if you want to create that template for me and shoot it on over, I'll, I'll certainly give it a crack. The, the beat AI, uh, for sure, made for you. Yeah, I'm down to fire. Uh, I love it. One thing you brought up with AI and I think technology, uh, how do you guys view, and Dave, how do you view like the NFT space? Or have you talked about that? Daryl, have you guys talked about it as a team with NBA Top Shot? Dave, let's start with you here with the NFTs. I'm like not tapped in enough. I have such a vague understanding of it. I, I'm aware that it's going to be huge and it's something that I'm going, I know inevitably I will have a really solid understanding of it because it's going to become so prevalent, but I just like currently don't care enough to like do the research, but I, I should probably should and it's me being lazy. So I know that it's like the, the future, but I'm, I wouldn't know as much as probably Daryl's about to say. I just came from the NFT panel. Uh, so this is pretty, pretty relevant. And uh, I would say, Dave, let, let the MIT conference be your window into these, uh, into these yeah. crazy new, new shit. We'll, we'll, we'll be here for you. So, but uh yeah, you may want to get, I don't know, your if your business team is made up from your 10 friends from childhood or not, I don't know, but you may want to get one of them on it because it's, it's uh, right now, it's almost like the rookie cards of NFTs, like the stuff being done now, people are going to look back at in 10 years and be like, oh my God, like Lil Dicky was the first one to NFT his latest release uh, or whatever it might yeah. be, for example. It is wild. Uh, and we, Steve Ioki is one of those guys that released something on NFT a couple of weeks ago and it blew up and it is just, uh, it's the wild, wild west right now with a lot of unknown. Uh, Dave, before we let you go and wrap up, obviously this being a Philadelphia style panel, do you have one favorite sports memory looking back? No question. Game one, 2001 NBA finals, Iverson stepping over to Ron Lill. Like that moment, like watching that live, having that Lakers team having never lost the whole season, I mean, the whole playoffs, I should say, uh, that game and the overtime and just like that team was my favorite team ever by far, like in terms of all sports, like even more than like the 2018 Eagles, you know, or yeah. whatever it was. Uh, and man, did I think that they were going to win that series. And, <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, and, totally. then Shaq, and then Eric Snow broke his ankle and Shaq just started elbowing with tumble in the face and everything kind of went downhill. But that for that moment, I felt like I had won the championship. That was our had, title. That game one was our yeah. title. <laughs> Considering that we got swept the rest of the I way. Still, I still, up. once a year, I'll watch that game. Like that game, like is so inspiring to watch. That's awesome. If we did uh, classic so NFT top shots, I think Iverson stepping over Teron Liu has got to be in the top 10. Unfortunately, one of the top 10 is my childhood least favorite memories, which is Jordan hitting the shot over Elo 
in the playoffs for my for my Cavs team. And I feel more now at at, uh, at one with the Philly fan base. Now I know I forgot you guys had one game one and then lost four in a row. That's what happened to us in the playoff bubble. We beat the Lakers, and I'm like, this is it. This is like my whole career. We're gonna make it. Then we got want want. We lost four straight to uh, LeBron, who's pretty good still, sadly. Yeah. So. More reason to, to to despise the Lakers. More reason to despise the Lakers and the Celtics, Daryl. That that's just kind yes. of in, in our fiber here in Philadelphia through the years, especially you know that that early '80s team and what they did in the '80 to and to '83 that window. Um, Daryl, do you? Do you keep in touch? You just brought up the Cavaliers. Like, do you keep and follow these Cleveland teams, these Ohio teams still? I mean, I keep more in touch. Like I lost, uh, for me, it was like the players. Like, it sounds like, you know, Dave obviously was AI, but you probably love Matumbo, who's a good friend. I, I worked with him in Houston for many years. Yeah, I keep, I talk to Mark Price quite a bit now because he's a shooting coach in the NBA. And, and, uh, but I, I, you know, for me that it was Bernie Kozar with Mark Price Brad Darty and it was, you know, Jim Tomei, Manny Ramirez, those teams, but I've lost touch of my Cleveland fandom, sadly. I, I hate it, but it's true. So. We love Tommy too. What's that? We love Jim Tommy too. That's right. Yes, yeah. The, 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 the best player ever from Peoria. So. Uh, you know what? I, to end this up too, to hear that you, you grew up with, uh, you know, Cleveland sports, it's very relatable to the Philadelphia struggle right our passion and that base and if you tap into your cleveland memories you'll understand and relate to, to philadelphia and i can tell you the browns are going to be really good this upcoming season well they're so. not the browns the browns are in freaking baltimore ah! now. and uh <laughs> you know i'm still bitter about that and uh i would say though you're right i mean i actually the the, the passion for the cleveland browns is is really how it feels when i'm here in philly for the eagles and sixers and phillies so well, it's been a pleasure, guys. Daryl, Dave, uh, thanks for sharing your time here for uh, 45 minutes and going through the questions. And, of course, uh, let me tell you, you've, you've got a, a whole city behind you, Daryl. Enjoy it. And let's uh, we cannot wait for the spring and a deep run. So uh, thank you for uh, sharing your, your, your thoughts. And, and, Dave, good luck on the show. Once again, it's Dave, Season 2, FXX, this summer. Looking forward to it. The show is amazing. I've obviously only seen Season 1, although I'm waiting for the sneak preview maybe from dave once 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 he can send me the the link or <laughs> i don't want to get you in trouble though what's that uh, i said we'll sidebar I'll, I'll, I'll scratch your back you scratch mine all right all right let's do it let's do it all right thanks fellas be safe and stay uh stay healthy okay you too thanks thanks Bye, thanks, guys. thanks kevin thanks this recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.